welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together business owners, leaders, and experts to talk about their business journeys and provide them with invaluable insights and explore the link between personal and business success. I am your host, Warren Munson, founder of Evolve. I've previously founded, grown, and successfully exited three businesses in the business services and technology sectors. I have a passion for helping and advising businesses and seeing them succeed. We all know that leading and running a business comes with its own unique joys and challenges, and Evolve provides the advice, guidance, and support to the business, you and your teams on that journey, be that if you're starting, growing, or looking to exit or step away from your business. We do this through our Ignite, Thrive, and Optimize programs and services, which includes strategic advice, coaching and mentoring, leadership training, funded business support, and so much more. If you want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolveadvisory.co.uk or connect and message me on LinkedIn. For now, though, let's just get on with the show. This week, I'm talking to Jason Galt, CEO at Team Jobs, as well as team manager at the Premiera Team Jobs cycling team. I've known Jason for a number of years and see him as a driven individual with a particular passion for leadership, teamwork and developing positive and successful mindsets. I therefore wanted to sit down with him to discuss his journey and what he's learned and continues to learn as both a successful business owner and as a father and as a husband. Amongst the topics discussed, Jason talks about his changes he's seen in recruitment and his 22 years within the industry, what he learned about leadership and people during his four years as a Dorset police officer, the value of a business partner, especially when starting your very first business, the demands now of being a sole business owner, and how he balances time between team jobs and the cycling team. Jason also gives a very honest account on the effects his all-in approach to life has had on his personal life, as well as his mental health challenges he's faced and how he's overcome them. Please enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Jason, to the Evolved Succeed podcast. Great to be here. It's great to have you on the podcast. Going to talk about your life in recruitment, your sort of secondary role also as a team manager of a cycling team. So we'll talk all about that. But I suppose for our listeners, some of our listeners will already know you, some won't. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit about your business team jobs and where you are today, as it were? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I've been in recruitment for 25 years, had my own business for 22. And uh, so 22 years team jobs. And that is a recruitment business based in Poole. Uh, we did in the early days have offices scattered over the south coast but we've kind of centralized into one hub now which is much more efficient for us as a business uh, and we're a player in the temporary permanent executive search market we cover manufacturing office-based businesses uh, all over the uk and um, we've also got a, an automotive recruiting business based in the uk which covers the u.s automotive dealership um recruitment um, why how it works from Paul I'm still slightly bemused it shouldn't really but it does <laughs> and these worlds things like that too <laughs> don't they like you say yeah I mean the world of recruitment has changed so much hasn't it and I'm sure we'll touch on that in the 25 years you've been in it it's much more competitive than when I started um, 
hunt, yeah, definitely. It's a different beast now than it was 20, 20 years ago. It's interesting. So I'm going to ask you directly a question about that. Is you know you're strong independent, quite a large independent. You know, one of the three or four, two or three that exist in the Dorset market. Is there space for independent recruiters in this world now? There is, um, and you know, like any, they're all they're always new independent setting up, and some of them are doing very well. But it's getting, it's getting harder. There's there's more players. Businesses are much more savvy. Uh, savvy, sorry, uh, they expect more. Yeah. You know, in the early days, this this will make you. I, I kind of my I was a cheeky chappy going out knocking on doors. I was good at what I did. Like yeah. you know, I was I delivered with delivered bells on. I always delivered. That was my you know USP. Would I get away with that style to the same extent now? Probably not. I'd have a degree. I'm sure I'd have a degree of success, but you know, it was literally. You know, we used to be knocking doors on all the estates, and we we built the business. Yeah. Um, you know, collaring people at the back of workplaces. You know, yeah. just with bag of donuts. People still do that. Our guys still do that, but it's a much smaller element. Yeah, and so you need you need sort of lifted out of that. You need sense. so you need a much higher. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? High level proposition yeah. um, to actually. Yeah. on board the bigger more savvy businesses now yeah. Uh, so yeah okay. it's, it's very different so do need to go back to your story because I'm fascinated you know we've known each other a number of years and researching for this podcast I found out a fact I didn't know was that between 95 99 four years you were in the Dorset police as a police officer so how did you end up in the police and then how did you transcend from that to a completely kind of polar opposite really into recruitment Jason it's a yeah, it's a funny story, really. So I I was one of those kids, you know. When when everyone talks to school kids, they say, "What do you want to do?" Yeah. And oh, some kids know what they want to do, some don't. And sometimes kids who don't know what they do beat themselves up, going, "Oh, I don't know what." I didn't have the foggiest, so I I left school. Um, wasn't particularly academic. Uh, my dad went, "You need to be doing engineering," um, and I went and did an engineering an engineering degree at Leeds Uni got in by the skin of my teeth because my A-levels weren't very good and got a drinking man's degree, a 2-2, <laughs> kind of got through it. Um, I wrote 200 letters to try and get a job, didn't get one reply. So I came down to Paul purely because my dad had moved here. I got into fitness over the time I was at uni and I actually became a fitness instructor at Paul Sports Centre. So my first job was okay. when the Paul Sports Centre used to be there, which is now the old the foundry or whatever it, yeah. in that building or the rock climbing, I think yeah, it is it's, now. It's that end of the dolphin. So for about eight months, I was the fitness instructor there. And I remember I was on seven grand a year. Yeah. Very quickly realised I was never going to have any <laughs> bloody money. And then I think the penny finally dropped when I got promoted to duty manager and they put my salary up to seven and a half grand. And I was like, <laughs> this isn't going to work. So I... I basically then applied for an engineering job yeah. um, and I got a job down on uh, Creekmore Industrial Estate working for Scott Closures and I was the, I, I blagged a job as the manufacturing manager. I was well beyond my, it was way beyond my experience at yeah. the time um, and um, did a couple of years there and then I moved to Parker Digiplan which is now Bofa, the Bofa yeah. building. So I became a team leader there. That was when I got my first taste of recruitment. This is all relevant to the police thing, trust me. So I so, but, so I became a client 
of Mark Nash, who okay. is who at the time was Excel Resources. Yeah, remember that. And now Employ, and I'm obviously not trying to give you a plug, Mark, if you're listening, but <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, so I Mark, I was his client, and uh, Mark and Gordon, who was Mark's business partner at the time, used to come and see me, and I had probably had 20, 25 temps in at the time, so you know they looked yeah. after me, and they were and Mark, sorry to say, he was very good, and yeah. he was. But what inspired me at that moment was I was into cars. I was a young lad, no money. I had the world's crappiest car. I, can't, I think I had a Ford Cortina estate at one point <laughs> during that period. And Mark and Gordon turned up with brand new Rover 220 GTIs. Do you remember those? Yeah, I do, yeah. So for me, as a lad working in a factory, That's I was right. like, Rover 220, two, having a two litre 30 years ago was a yeah. big deal. And I was like, and 16 valves, don't forget. <laughs> yeah, right? The kids nowadays won't have a clue what I'm talking about. And then a year later, I was still there. They turned up with brand new BMW M3s. Right. And I was just blew my brains. I was right. like, how can that happen? Yeah. At that point, I had no idea when I was going to recruitment. Um, and I was bored. I was in engineering. It wasn't me. Uh, I'm a people person. I need to be. Yeah. engaging doing stuff I'm not kind of I can't be closed into a working in a cell environment or what have you so I applied for Dorset Police on a whim I, I didn't want to be a, it wasn't I wanted to be a policeman it was just like put didn't it in want, didn't want to be in engineering no I didn't want to be in engineering didn't want to be you know I was just I don't know I didn't know what I was like let's try this and then as I went through the selection because it was quite hard to get into Dorset in those yeah. days uh, as I went through the selection process I thought oh, I quite fancy this and then I got in and next thing I'm up at training school yeah, and in, in into into the police, and I ended up um, I ended up at Boscombe, <laughs> which was I'll be honest with you, it's a fascinating place, yeah. absolutely, because you, it, it, there is so much going on in Boscombe beneath yeah. beneath well, the it surface. Days, it's quite a great place, isn't it? There's quite a community there. It's it's changing all the time. Isn't it? it's, it's yeah, diverse. it is. It's a it's a really. I mean, you can but see. Then, well, it was it's. It was prostitution, it was drugs, um, petty burglaries, obviously funding the drugs, yeah. prostitution, generally funding the drugs. Um, and yeah, so we were, I was a street policeman out. It was the baptism of fire. Yeah, it was. And I'd, I'd never, you know, I remember I'd never seen a dead body. First, I remember seeing my first dead body, making my first arrest, um, my first proper fight. You know, there was all sorts of stuff, but I was really lucky. I was in a... I was in a squad of like um, proper street policemen, mm. and I was. It was kind of what I would call almost the last era of what I call the probably the slightly old school yeah. police mentality, which isn't all bad because what I that was one of my kind of learning lessons really was you go to training school and they quite rightly kind of scare the crap out of you a little bit. Yeah. That you've got to do things by the, you know, and you do, you have, you know, you have to. Um, but they kind of turn you into this cardboard cutout yeah. placement. Robot type thing. So you come out of this manufactured place. And then I, I walk into a, a squad with 20, 25 year old school time stuff. Yeah. And they're like, who's this probie? Who's this, you know, and yeah. you've got to, it's sink or swim. And next thing I'm on the street and I remember making my first arrest and it was very, I was very prescriptive as they taught me, you know, you're kind of, you're not relaxed. You're saying everything by the book and well, well and, and the, you know, the crooks they're looking at as if so. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember, and then I remember watching, you know, the, the guys that have been doing it for years and years and years. And they were just, they were so, they were just themselves. Yeah. They, they weren't trying to be a policeman. That was, that was it. It was, it was a, 
I call it authenticity, which is what I'll come back to in kind of the, the, my leadership, one of the big leadership lessons I learned. They didn't try to be anything other than they were. Yeah. They obviously stuck to the rules they as police by the book. But yeah, they would but talk to it doesn't matter, you know, some guy, whether it's a shoplifter, a burglar, a prostitute. I mean we used to drive along and where I'd almost think prostitution was a dirty word, because you just never experienced it. Yeah. We'd stop in the police car, we would chat, they would chat, you know, go they'd know their names, you know, hello Deborah, you busy tonight? You know, it would be oh yeah, you know, oh, it's been it was a proper yeah. you know, you just it so the thing I learned in them was you treat everyone with respect and what, what you got ironically from the crooks as you know and it sounds like a joke but that's what we used to call them um, you treat them with respect even though they're in the wrong they'd actually give you a little bit of respect back yeah. and they know they're going to get nicked and they but they, you'd go to the nick and they play ball and it was just you know and, it, and it, it was it was one of my biggest lessons of don't try and be yeah. anything other than just be authentic. Be real. And treat people with respect. And treat people with respect, hundred percent. And you think you took that then into future life and still do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because when I, um, I remember when I first got into recruitment. So basically, what what happened was I, I did four years in the police. I nearly got stabbed with a syringe and a few other. I got involved in a few incidents. I got bitten on my arm, which was quite nasty, and I had to have HIV, hepatitis tests, and everything else. And that was an off-duty thing where I'd. I was down at Jazzy's, a couple of lads kicking off and the address was being assaulted. And once you're a policeman, you you, you know, when you're off duty, you can't go, sorry, I'm off duty if someone really needs. Yeah. I had to get stuck in and it ended up in a big old brawl and I got this bite on my arm. Um, and after I'd had all the AIDS tests and everything else and I'd had that incident with a syringe, I just, and I'm working, I was, I was working nights, days, Christmas, uh, Christmas day. Yeah. You end up socialising with policemen because they're the only people that got time off the same time as you. And I, and I, my money, I missed all the housing benefit and all. So I was at that yeah. new generation of, and I just thought, is this? It's not going to get me where I want to go. So I went back to Mark Nash, okay. <laughs> and uh, and and said, have you got any engineering jobs? Because I thought I'll maybe go back into engineering. Yeah. And he said, you to consider recruitment. I was like, no. So next thing, I'm in a two-hour interview with Mark and he was brutal role-playing the whole nine yards and I just went with it and he called me back for a second we did it again and he was like fair play and he offered me a job so he offered me a job as a so obviously with my engineering background and my degree he offered me a job as a technical recruiter uh, okay which makes sense isn't it so I, I jumped in into recruitment yeah. yeah and Excel resourcing at the time was a we were it was a pretty brutal environment yeah. great environment um, you couldn't run a recruitment company like that now, really. It was, Mark's got a very direct style. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> Mark won't mind. He's, 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 um, I learned a lot. I learned loads from Mark. I, got lo- I mean, I'll, I'll say it now. I've got loads to thank Mark for. Um, there was no messing around. You know, you were on it. Yeah. From the minute you arrived, there was no, you know, you were on the beat of the bang. You know, if something needed doing, it was done. And that was our USP. We were sharp. Yeah. Um, but the police bit in that first six months, the funny thing was I, I was in my police mentality where, you know, I was doing warrants in, in Boscombe, you know, in the Crescent or something at four o'clock in the morning, I, I'd be the doorman cause I was into my bodybuilding then. And I was, a, so I used to have, you remember the big door force? Yeah. So I was used to, you know, being at some drug dealer's house at four in the morning and they're all upstairs and there'd be seven or eight of us in full riot gear. 
and we'd be like sneaking up because obviously it's all element of surprise you've got to clear the house before anyone can flush anything down the toilet yeah. literally we just take the door off these these door forces are brilliant you'd literally be bang the door would literally fly off its hinges and then you would just you know we were all big blokes full gear these people you imagine you're in bed asleep <laughs> yeah, and you literally cover every room you run and you you're like please don't fucking move my like sorry i didn't mean to swear but, um and you know your next thing you're in this this drug dealer who thinks it's a bit hard you know a bit of a hard boy and and he's jumps he's jumping out of bed he's starting his wife's jumping now and it's like and it's it's anyway so i've kind of come from that mentality you don't mess around yeah and then i was in recruitment i was and i and i remember i'd be putting people into work and they sometimes they wouldn't turn up for work i'd be like you can't do that <laughs> so whereas now you kind of accept yeah. that's kind of what happens back in those days i would get in my car and i'd drive around because obviously you'd go out their addresses i mean you couldn't get away with it now in a million years i'd drive around the house and I remember being in cul-de-sac in the middle of a pool somewhere, throwing a stone up at a guy's window. Because he's supposed to be work. started at a company in pool at eight o'clock that morning or what have you. And, I'd, and he'd be come to the window at like 20 past eight because I'd gone to check him in and he wasn't there. And I'm like, mate, what were you doing? I said, get, get your clothes, get your... And I'd, I'd literally get him out of the house in the car and drive him to work. And that was kind of my... Yeah. So I kind of had this... So like when it came to doing sales... I didn't bat an eyelid. And I remember looking around my branch going, I see people that were kind of, you know, they they weren't selling kind of with they with conviction or they kind of wouldn't. I used to love it when Mark would come in and go, right, power hour, I'll be like, game on, this is my time. Right. And I that's how I that's how I created my worth. And that's kind of what I took forward when I started team jobs. I wasn't nothing phased me. If someone said that client's really hard to get into yeah. that was the client I was gonna get into. That was the one you're gonna It wasn't the one I would go, Oh, I won't bother ringing them, they're really hard, I'd be like that's the one I'll show everyone I can get in there. Okay. So I kind of saw it as a challenge. It's interesting, isn't it? There's so many questions that come out. <laughs> of it I suppose one of them would be is around that, you know, if you were looking back now, you're talking, you know, you've got daughters and you're talking to your daughters about finding their own path. Because, you know, what advice would you give somebody? Because we don't all leave school with certainty of what we want to do or who we want to be in probably less so now in this day and age than we did in our time Jason so you know what was looking back on that journey what has that taught you and what advice would you give others I think be yourself is a huge thing and I know that might sound like a really obvious simple thing to say but I see so many people who aren't true to who they are and don't embrace their personality yeah uh, or don't let their personality develop. And everyone's different. Everyone's got different strengths, weaknesses, what have you. And actually understanding who you are, embracing the good and the bad, yeah. and being you. So like with my kids, um, they're both totally different, but both incredibly, um, what's the word I'm looking for, unique in their own way. And they've got you know certain little things about them. I really trying to rather than me channel them into what I think yeah. they should be. I'm like, you've got something there, take it, run with it. And I try and encourage people to come out of their comfort zone. So, what I find again, I just take my daughters as an example. Like my oldest daughter, she will she'll shy away from things like PE or, mm. and then sometimes when she does, when I can get her to do something, she'll go, actually enjoyed that. So I'm what I try and do is I don't try and force it. My dad was a I grew up in a in a, in a military family, and my dad. He took it to the, the extreme where my he was like, 
you will be in, you know, you will do this, you will do that, you will join the Navy when you're 16. I know it was, you won't wear jeans. Yeah. And but, I, but that did then make you not, I mean, because life is some lessons to be learned, but you slipped up a couple of times in finding your true path as a result, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what happened was, I went, when I went to boarding school uh, from being at home, I because I didn't then I didn't have my dad having that huge control element over me. I did go off the rails. Now, luckily, I kind of found my way back on because yeah. I'd I'd had enough time home to have yeah. those values instilled in me of the values were deep down. But yeah. I could easily have gone the other way. Yeah. So I'm I suppose what I'm trying to do with with my kids is not over be too much of a overbearing parent, yeah. but really encourage. But don't. But I don't like excuses. Yeah. I very much. A bit old-fashioned when you know if she's like, oh, I can't I can't do something or I don't want to do I'm like I'm I kind of shut that down and I'm like come on and that. I and I think that's the thing is you've got to take yourself out of your comfort zone to realize what you're good at. Yeah, good, great, great advice there, Jason. So your your Excel recruitment, what made you set up your own recruitment business? What was the spark that led to that? So. I, I really actually enjoyed it, Excel. Um, I thought Mark Mark was a good leader. He had a very distinct style, and there were some good people. There was some actually some really good people there. Uh, they were maverick. They were definitely a maverick mm. type of business. Right, it was that time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was and they were forging the local market. You know, they were the player. There's no yeah. question. Um, so I was in a good environment, but I realised after about six months, I was already climbing quickly and I what I did I was like a little sponge so I I just looked at instead of being intimidated by the people that were good I basically my mantra was if someone was really good at something I'd try and be better at it than they were so I kind of would just I would try and learn from the best and not gravitate to the sort of the average or the so I I started to, even within a year, I was controlling some good business. I'd one good business. I, I started overtaking people that had been recruiting for, you know, some of them five, 10, 15 years. And I, I kind of thought, this is me. This is... Yeah, you had found your thing. Yeah, it was my first commission-based job. I remember getting my first £1,000 commission check and going, Jesus, that's bonkers. You know, I couldn't get my head around it. You know, I'd come from, I'd come from the police where... You know, if I wanted to earn another thousand quid, I was at the very least going to have to be a sergeant. I'd have to pass the exams, which would take me two years. I'd then maybe just have to shadow for two years. Then my face would have to fit. That might be a five or six year project. Yeah. Where now I'm going, I've done that in eight months. And actually, if I can double it, I'll do two grand. Yeah. And so I was, so I did that for a couple, uh, I think I was there a couple of years. And then I got headhunted. So I got headhunted by a guy called Lloyd Murphy who was at MPC who was business partner with Clive Wood okay. and um, they'd obviously seen what I was doing seeing I was you know you get you, you yeah. when you're in the crew you get you get well, a feel for who, industry you're in when you know you're local yeah market, you get a feel for who the movers and shapes yeah. so they headhunted me and I they were quite a small company at the time there was only about five or six of them Clive was the MD Clive wasn't a recruiter Clive had come from engineering he had years in engineering but he'd he'd had this opportunity through a um, a mate he knew who'd basically set him up so he was the MD and Lloyd was one of the directors and I'd gone in and I couldn't believe how far behind they were from you know how little business some of them had just some of the way they just worked so you know when I come in I'd be in early I'd be bang 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 and they'd be drifting in 
And I remember in six months, um, I'd built up more business on my own than the whole of the rest of the business. So I'd literally just from a standing, well, I say standing start because that was the big thing. A lot of my business came with me. Mm. And that was my first light bulb moment. I was like, my business has followed me. And that was, I was like, and I'd, 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 I'd built up almost a business in its own right, just yeah. on my own in six months, but I'd never run a business. I had no money. I mean, I, every penny, well, nothing's changed, Warren. Every penny <laughs> I had, I spent. You'd give me, you're sitting there laughing, going, Chase, this penny really needs to drop for you. You're 51 <laughs> years old, man. Um, but I, I had no money. I'd never run a business. And, they, and, and for someone who's never had a business, there's almost this enigma of yeah. having a business. You know, you, how do you, how do you? Yeah. What do you, how do you have a business when actually really it's not as hard as people realize if you just speak to the right people but so Clive knew I wanted my own business and we we also they exited Lloyd out of that business as well because he wasn't really performing and um, I hope I'm not stitching anyone up stuff. <laughs> it's all true um, should have worked harder Lloyd um, uh, and um, uh, he then he had a friend called Anthony Hancock who was a serial entrepreneur, multimillionaire. So I think at the time I managed to put about five, which was a huge amount of money. I I managed to buy my flat, which actually just that little little flat just down here, Golly Tops. You've seen the little, I got my first little flat. So I was in there, had a lodger. I was skint, no money, crap car. I put together this five grand was literally, so me and Clive literally put together a small amount of money and Anthony put in a bit more. But the so the first thing I learned was um, at the time it was quite good to have people around me because I didn't really know what I was doing but in reality I probably didn't need from a financial point of view yeah. I actually didn't really need any business partners because in that first six months we made money yeah. and not many businesses make money in their first yeah. six months um, and I had I mean I remember Alan Cobb engineering up at Blanford I had like 60 people in there I had people out all over the place, and it was brilliant. It was a it was a buzz, and we were just like this. The growth curve in the early days was massive. Um, so when I look back, I go, oh, I could have done it on my own. But we can all look back and say yeah, that. What I will, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But what I will say though is, um, having a business partner is not always a bad thing because it's somebody who actually can share the burden, the worry. Uh, who can spot something you haven't spotted can sometimes keep you on the straight and narrow which might sound a bit odd to say as well but yeah I was young uh, um, where would I have been if I had no business partners I could have been way more successful I could have been way less who I just it's impossible to call it um, but we yeah so we got we got involved and we were we were third third and third and off we went and it just grew massively and I was just probably overconfident I was I, nothing kind of got in my way in those days so team jobs grew massively we then set up the medical business I headhunted an entire we well basically what happened was it was when I think it was in labor we're in and there was this massive drive for investment in the NHS and we were like we want a piece of that and there was a medical agency in Bournemouth called I can't remember what they were called um there was I think there was four girls there and I managed to get hold of the manager so I basically got hold of her had a chat and I headhunted the entire office I mean how I got away with it I will never know because we literally that whole office gave their notice and came to work for us like 
it, the whole office started on the same day. But recruitment has that ruthlessness about it. Yeah, yeah, it was mad. Or well, it did in those days, perhaps it doesn't now. Well, I, le- legally, I'm not sure how we, you know, I, I, I don't know how we did it really, because there's risk, there was a, there was a risk there, but we did it. I headhunted the entire office. Started then, that's it, we had a medical business. And then we, pre-2008, we kind of all measured ourselves by how many, it was funny, I remember Smart had X number of offices and Rubicon or what have you, and it was almost like, well, I've got six, off- and now I've got seven offices, and, <laughs> and it was odd. Whether you make any money or not, you know, yeah. it was kind of irrelevant, but it was, kind of, and I remember we, and so we, we went on this journey of opening up offices all over the place. Um, and again, I think that's where for, probably went wrong for me a little bit because I... I trust people too much. Um, I've never had any formal management training. Um, and I tried to manage a team in Chichester. So what I did, what I did, I, wherever we went, I would I would headhunt a team yeah. from scratch, pull them all in and go, bosh, there you go. Uh, and of course, these people, you don't really know them. No. You think, you know. You're you, not spending any time no. with them because at that point you're spread yourself. So <laughs> Absolutely. Thinly. So I had this great team in pool. Yeah. who I trusted, who kind of just, in, it, they just knew what was expected. So I didn't have to be like manager of the year because they just knew. And I tried to manage my remote locations in the same way. And we had degrees of success, degrees of failure. And then after the 2008 crash, like all businesses, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I thought we were going to go bust at one point because our revenues just died. We got through it. We didn't go bust, didn't need any money, but we got through by the skin of our teeth. And then we basically said we don't really and then what happened was companies realized they could start remote recruiting and it, yeah. in it and the market all started to change and that's when we went right. you know what because sort of yeah. we had leases all over the place and everything else and it just yeah not not for me and i don't think it worked for my management style either um so yeah so that that was the journey with with clive and anthony and then um Crikey! So um, eventually brought them out. Yeah. So how did that feel to go through that process? Well, I kind of, I didn't. I st- I still didn't feel like I'd really uh, realised my potential as a leader. Um, and I suppose I always had in the back of my mind, like from the early days, going, oh, "I could have done this, mm. rightly or wrongly." And I'm not trying could've to be, done it differently. but I could have. And I, I thought I got a third of the company, and I thought, so. And, and Clive and Nancy were both 20 years older than me. And I knew Clive was probably going to want to retire at some point. Um, so what, what, I, what I proposed at the time was, Clive, you, you, take, you take medical. Yeah. I'll take recruitment. So essentially that's what we did. I gave up my shares in medical. Yeah. And I kept my shares in recruitment. Anthony kept a third in each okay. at that point. Um, and it was, it was daunting at the time. But it, I kind of... I just felt it was right, yeah, right thing the right me. decision for me. Um, Clive's now exited and retired. <laughs> so read, read into that what you will. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was it was fine. And um, um, and then uh, about three three years ago, I we bought I bought Anthony out of his final final third. But at the same time, we've got pandemics. And all the other stuff yeah, going on, um, and yeah, it's been uh, yeah, it's been a challenging few years. It's definitely, yeah. I definitely, I think that's the one thing as a so, uh, sole owner, it's ta- it has it's taken it out of me a bit. 
So I think that's the bit I've underestimated. So actually, in hindsight, although you thought I could do it on, on your own, maybe some of the lesson is there was some intangible support about having others. Well, around. I go back to that: a problem shared is a problem yeah. half. Uh, is that the, yeah. t- the the expression? And there's a degree of truth in that. It doesn't mean anything's any. But if you've got someone who's as as sort of liable as you are, and, and you're sharing the problem, yeah. uh, but you know, when I go home at night, I'm as a as a sole, you know a sole owner going great. I own the whole company. That's great. But I also have all the risk, yeah. all the worry. If this goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a very honest kind of response. And we've talked about, you know, with the recruitment and your leadership there. I mean, but you've also built a successful cycling racing team, road cycling team, and you're the team manager of that. I mean, how did that come about? And what lessons have you turned from business into sport? And what lessons have you taken now that you've learned from that competitive sport environment back into the business? Sport has been a common thread for me since about the age of probably 16. Um, So it's been something that has been a massive vehicle in helping me personally. Uh, I got into bodybuilding when I was about 16 um, and changed my life because I kind of suddenly realised I I could be good on sports day. And I suddenly, as as a youngster created my worth as we do in our own heads at that that time in our lives and because I was good at sport I was one of the lads and yeah. you know you feel you know so but it, it kind of I uh I, I built myself up um and that carried through so I, I had this um let me think probably a 30-year journey as a bodybuilder I mean I was I don't know if you knew me back then Warren I was I think I was sometimes up at 18 stone I was a doorman when I first came down here because I'd got into it at uni yeah and it was it was the old way of thinking. Yeah. Arnie was one of my super, you know, was my mega, yeah. you know, he still is my kind of hero, inspiration on many levels. Um, and in those days, fitness was, you know, bigger the better. Yeah. You used to carry your pots of rice and pasta and tuna around, and yeah. it was when clubbing was big and being a doorman was cool. And yeah. you look back now <laughs> and go, what were we all, you know, we all doing but that's where I was. And um, so I, but what you probably you know you know me i i go all in so i was with my bodybuilding i did, i never you know i i did a strongman competition two years running but i never competed properly yeah. but i was all in i was a big lad i took it seriously and nothing kind of compromised my training and and i got to my late 30s my as a lot of guys did we we trained so heavy um you course you in you know and some of the old ways of training you do inevitably cause um injuries and damage and yeah. i kind of just got to my late 30s i thought my body is i just thought i can't keep doing this so i walked into primera at the age of i think about 40 and i was i think i was 109 kilos at the time <laughs> and walked in with my suit on um and they were like who the hell's this guy and they me being me he doesn't want a bike yeah got one strong enough. <laughs> well i ended up buying a pinarello dogma so i went straight in it wasn't like i'll just buy a bike so i get on i went straight in yeah walked okay. out with a carb and of course and my wife was like you idiot you know and like a load of my mates they were like jace that's going to be in your shed getting dusty in three months yeah. what a waste of money and I was crap. I mean, I was too heavy. I'd never done any CV my whole life. All I'd done is lift stuff. 
and I used to go out on the 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 shop rides at Primera, and I'd be dropped literally within five minutes. I'm fired out of the back. But like you know me, mum and I never gave up. So I'd go back the next week. I'd last eight minutes, and then I get to fifteen. You know, we're talking of an hour and a half, two hour ride here. So I was literally, <laughs> they'd be like, "What happened to Jason?" You know, hardly seen me. But I lost a stone within, oh crikey, within two or three months, I'd lost a stone. I was like, Jesus! And from someone who'd been chasing being big my yeah. whole life, that was a real. So I went with it, and I, I spent that winter. I lost a couple of stone. Um, I started getting stronger and stronger on the bike, and I thought, I can, I can do this. Okay. So I then went, um, and then and then what happened was the turning point was I. Uh, you've heard of Morton, the local kind of yes, crit race, cool. yeah. and it was a big thing. It was way bigger back then than it was now, and people knew I was getting a bit stronger on the bike and said, Chase, you should do a race for a laugh, you know. So I went, I went and did Morton, um, and I won it first first time I ever did a race. I won. And everyone was like. This is ridiculous. I remember Raymond Dean, who's a, a, a big local cyclist, interviewing me afterwards, going, you remember him looking at me, looking at my build and my shape, going, you shouldn't be riding a bike. <laughs> um, and then I got a coach, um, and I then went, oh, that was it. I was right. I was all in. And I was yeah, training building, twice yeah. a day. I went down to about 83 kilos, which is still heavy in racing terms, but was really light for me. And I won, I won multiple times at Morton. I won a number of races. Then I got invited over. I got invited onto the Primera race team at the time, which was probably only four lads. And yeah. it wasn't a really serious. It was kind of just a bit of a hobby thing for the shop. Um, and uh, and then after the year, Bill said, you know, do you want to be a sponsor? Do you want to? So I was like, yeah, you know, let's see if we can do something with this, make it turn it into something. And so we've kind of been on that journey for, I don't know, about seven years, seven or eight years. So me and Bill have kind of been partners in it. And we've built it now to the level where it's a 16-man squad. We're elite, um, UK, top 20. We're, this year, we're still pinching ourselves. We're sponsored by Pinarello, Muckoff, Norco, Symes, Bassini is doing all our socks, Velo Forte doing all our food. Um, you know, we've got... It's just bonkers for a team of our level to get that level. I mean, the bike sponsorship is massive. Yeah. Because we're, I mean, even teams of our level looking in going, they're treating you like a pro team, which they are. We've got, you know, so we, I don't know if you saw on social, but a couple of weeks ago, we literally eight brand new Dogma Fs. You know, it's like a, nearly a hundred grand's worth of bikes they've brought down, completely custom built at the Pinarello factory up, up in um, near London, all delivered. And it's amazing. But it's how been, you, sorry. How do you balance your time between a kind of commercial business and a business because it is a business at that size it, it is it's, it is a sacrifice and it's a it's something you've got to be and I'll be honest and I, I, I don't like admitting this in the early days the family did suffer a bit okay um, so that was that if, I, three, that was if I look back to Biebs, um when she was young there were times I put my training over spending time with her and I regret mm-hmm. that and, I, yeah. and I've, I've I've corrected that now sort of being a bit older a bit wiser yeah it definitely impacts the business because you know you, you to compete really at the level even the level I, I know for me it's 15 hours a week on the bike yeah. which is huge when you've got it's business and you've got family yeah. uh, so I do I to make it work for me I do have to nick some time during the week yeah. um, 
but I suppose that's the time I go for the new the leaders I'm bringing up in the business. That's their time to shine. You know, you shouldn't need me there every day. If you want to be a leader and and, and be a director in the business, yeah. you need to better do what I did, yeah. or do it better than me. Ideally, yeah. um, it's that balance between giving people their head there and being and being present and showing them and mentoring them and coaching. Correct. Them, isn't it? And it, it and is that's a challenge. A balance to get in a business, isn't it? And I don't always get it right, Warren. And I'll be the first to hold my hands up. I think I'm getting it. Better. I'm, I'm I'm getting it right more now than I was. Yeah. But it it is a sacrifice it's a because risk, it's yeah. a it's a huge commitment. I mean, some of the lads in the team are doing twenty to twenty five hour weeks. They're been there, but they're twenty. They got they yeah. got no girlfriends. They. I suppose, but their aspiration is work. Some of them want to be. Pro, some of them want to be pro. You know, I've got an eighteen-year-old who's just—he's amazing. You know, he's—he's he's taken a year out. His dad's gone all in, van this that. He's literally full-time cyclist now, yeah. totally supported. Well, I'm just going to see. And, you're 50. <laughs> and I'm an old, and I'm an old git <laughs> trying to keep up with him, and it's bloody hard. Yeah. And what I'm intrigued about is that you've got—I've got two questions around this. But the first is, you're clearly, and everybody that knows you would probably reflect this but anybody even listening to this short conversation would say there's clearly somebody here that's got an obsessive personality <laughs> who is clearly very driven and you've used the phrase is always all in so my first question is how does do you think that's always served you well no uh, I think it's been a good thing on the whole because it's uh, it's helped me achieve yeah. in in areas, but what it's done is I'm so all in on a case. When I find something, particularly something new, yeah. where I go, right, I've got to, this has got to work, or I'm gonna, whether it be the cycling or whatever it was, I I'm so uncom- I, I'm so uncompromising in my approach to it that then almost everything else is secondary. Second, yeah. So if I look back. When I first, those first few years when I started to get coached and I was then at that point going, how far can I take my cycling? I mean, I'm now well beyond that. There would be times the business, I'd absolutely put cycling above the business. I'd hate to admit that. But it's it's me being honest. Not to the the detriment, but I go, do you know what? If I'd I'd given more time to the business, where could that have been? in the same time frame as an example impossible to say yeah. but it was something it's hard to but it's something I've yeah uh, rightly or wrongly it's just kind of my it's kind of something in here which drives me along yeah and it has you know on the whole served you well to get you to where you are isn't it it's just it's just a reflection point and I suppose the other question is when you've got you know and a lot of owner managers business owners founders you know all feel this, they are very obsessive driven and all in. Um, but in your case, you probably have taken it to an extent to a different level. How does that impact your team and your expectations of the team? Does that lead to challenges? Or have you learned over the years to reflect and not I'm there were times about? when I look back and when you kind of expect so my the, some of the mistakes I made as a leader, I kind of expect everyone to do things the way I did them. What I've learned is pe- people are different and actually 
letting people blossom in their own right is a you know I've actually gotten far more out of people uh, there were times looking back I had a, a couple of people in the business I won't say who what where when good people but you know recruitment you get big personalities it's that mm-hmm. type of industry you know if you know people in recruitment who are successful there you have to be a big personality and I had some huge personalities in my business and um, there were a couple of times when I confused people challenging me or having an opinion or pushing back on me and I'm not saying they were always in the right or wrong um, but sometimes there were times when I'd confuse that with me um, I'd almost go on the attack yeah. rather than maybe listen and work a way around it and be the bigger person And yeah. so there, I can think of at least two two people who aren't in my business anymore who have actually done extremely well and would probably go best thing I ever did because <laughs> you know I've actually done extremely well and they have done and they're great people but if I look back and look at my decision process leading to them leaving I'd go I needed to be the bigger person and I made some mistakes and I confused I got the situations a little Your bit expectation of yourself <sighs> yeah I, yeah I think I, I struggled to take criticism in the early days. Um, I saw that as a weakness. Yeah. I think I, I thought as a leader in the early days, you had to have all the answers. That was kind of, I think, my mentality. And I my mentality in the in the early days was, my leadership style was very much, just try and keep up with me. Yeah. You know, you hold, on to my, you hold on to my coattails. It's all about me, a little bit. You know, and I was the face of the business and everything. Now, I've... I've yeah. come and I'm. It's about them. It's all about them. That's interesting. 180 degrees. And I feel so differently. Um, you know, and there's there's people there's there's a couple of people that exit you know exit the business. I'd actually I'd apologise to them because I go, Do you know what, I didn't get it right. Yeah. And I didn't. No. Um, and then when we're younger, we've got that hunger, that sense of desire inside of us. We haven't. You know, life lessons haven't been dealt on us yet. No. We just do what our natural instincts show, and perhaps with the background, the military, the you know that that hunger that was instilled in you, desire to prove yourself, you had to do it that way to begin with. Yeah, and I and, and the other thing, which again, not not the easiest thing to talk about, but talking of business owners going all in, putting pressure on yourself, and there may be someone listening this who may sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves, so. I'll tell you what happened to me. I was, I've always been very lucky. I've always been very fit. I've always been, um, I was having a degree of success in business. Uh, I was I was competing in sport. Family was, you know, I was like, I was like, it's all going, but what I did, I was, I was trying to go all in on everything. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Yeah, kind of all the time. And I, at the same time I was then, so what I did, I was, I was doing, well, I was competing in my cycling. I was, coaching putting ridiculous hours in I was trying to keep the business going trying to keep my wife happy the family happy spend enough time with them buying out my you know as I was saying earlier buying out the business partners restructuring all this sort of stuff I was trying to do some work on the house and I had and I I was I fell into that trap of being I'm invincible I can do everything right and my cup I filled it so full I and I, I, I I'd never understood this until it happened I then started suffering with anxiety and I hit the wall about probably about four years ago okay. and I was like shit and I it was awful because I, for the first time in my life I'd gone 
but you're Jason Gold. Yeah, you're, you're invincible. You're not, you're not you know, vulnerable. you can't. I'm yeah, I'm not vulnerable. Or, and I was suddenly like, shit, this is... And I, and I was... I then was like, what my... You know, I felt I was in a bit of a hole. I was... And I... I, I realised I just completely overcooked it, and I had, and it took me a couple of years to do a massive reset. And how? Because thank you for sharing that. You know, that, that is a really important message and story to share with those listening. Because we all can get ourselves to that point from a mental health and anxiety. We can push ourselves too hard, and it's when people share that people kind of listen and think they may be there themselves. But the important follow-on from that, Jason, for me, is what did you do? You know, you talk about a two-year reset. You know, what was the moment of realization? I'm going to do something about this, and what were the very first steps? Because somebody listening to this, that could be great advice for them. The the first thing was something's got to give. So that was the first thing I realized. I couldn't. I can't do everything I'm doing. Um, the the only mistake I did, I got th- I did get through it on my own. I wish I'd actually been big enough to maybe take some advice, get a little bit of help because I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I kind of thought I can do this again. Going back to us, probably the probably the reason I got into this. But what what I did do is I I stopped competing on my bike. I still rather than trying to be the best on my bike, I just rode my bike yeah. and actually enjoyed it and rode it. If I didn't ride, if I didn't have time to ride it, I didn't ride it. And if I did have time, I did, and I didn't just go and ride it yeah. with my mates and enjoy it. So I dropped my coach because every day I'm looking at my training piece going Christ I've got to do two hours with five intervals of this that that power and I was just and that's when I'm going and when I'm going to fit that meeting in and when I, so I just bin that all off and I and I and I um, prioritisation pro- and I and I thought I've got to get I, my 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 the, the positive energy I still had at that point has got to go into the business yeah. so I I then had to go right come on Jace let's get this show back on the road and and I and I, I had to look after myself. I had to do. I did less. Um, I took a lot. Tried to take as much pressure off myself as I could. But it took time. You, I, I, that's the one other thing I learned massively in my you know in my brain. I thought, oh, you know, a couple of weeks, I'll be all right. I'll snap out of this. It doesn't work like that. Months and months and months relapses. You know, little tree. You realise there's a couple of things that trigger you. I had to come off caffeine. Because caffeine was a bit of a trigger for me yeah. at the time, and I, you know, I'm like with coffee. Coffee is like religion <laughs> yeah. for me, um, and it, yeah, it's really interesting. I think as men, particularly, yeah. we do this. We're shit at talking yeah, about stuff, talk about it, do um, and we don't. And we're a bit proud, and we all want to be perceived as being successful. And you know, oh yeah, I mean, I can sit here and go, yeah, team jobs, blah blah blah. We've had some challenges. Yeah. We've learned some lessons, but I've got great people, and we're moving forward. That's so what we're. That's yeah. what business is all about. Brilliant. That's a great piece to end this conversation on. But before we go, I always ask. Uh, I'm intrigued to know your answer, given that last piece. But the whole conversation is: what's your definition of personal success? Not business success. Personal success, Jason. Um, being content being content being realizing what you do have in your life that is going well for you i i think we live in a a lovely area here it's very easy to fall into the trap of not releasing all the things that you do have the grass is greener whether it be in your relationship or whether your house isn't big enough your car's not fast enough 
um, actually looking at your life and going, look at everything I actually have got that's going well. My children, my wife, the time we spend together, um, the people in my business, you know, yeah, we, I'd love my business to be three times the size that it is, but I've got a great business. I should be really happy that I've achieved all. And I think that was a massive learning point for me was I was always after the bigger, better deal. I was going to say, being content, that's a great way to define success. But if I had asked the Jason Galt of this, that same question five years ago, what response would I have got? Um, money. Money, cars. More cars. Bigger house. Possessions. Money, loads of money in the bank. And don't get me wrong, I'd still love that. Yeah. But it, that my desire. perception has changed yeah. in... And I, I see people, some people that have got... I'm... I, I, um, I know a lot of people with a lot more money than me and I look at them and they, they go, they're, they're not content, they're not happy. Yeah. And and I and I look at it and go, that's where I absolutely do not want to be. So, you know, contentment um, and being authentic, I think is my other massive thing, as in being, being real, not trying to be anything that you're not. No. Perfect. Jason, if people want to learn more about you or importantly, learn a bit more about Team Jobs, where can they go? Uh, so the website is uh, teamjobs.co.uk. Uh, we've got a lovely new office over on the Fleet uh, uh, on the Nuffield Industrial Fleet Bridge. Christ, I don't even know where, I'm, where my office is. <laughs> Nuffield Industrial Estate. We've, we've taken a suite on the ground floor there by, near the Travel Lodge. Fantastic. And the team are very happy. Um, yeah, and we've got, like I say, I now make great coffee. So come in, promise you with the best coffee, endorse it, guaranteed, hold me to it. Brilliant. Jason, I've loved having you on the podcast. Thank you for being so candid and open and honest and for sharing, particularly towards the end of our conversation, so openly. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Warren. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. And don't forget, if you'd like to learn more about Evolve and the services we offer and how we can help you and your business confidently start, grow and exit, then please go to evolveadvisory.co.uk. Please also help and support this podcast by subscribing, liking and giving us a positive review on your favourite listening platform. Thanks for listening and see you next week.